Morning Church family. You may not realize this, but spoilers don't actually spoil a good story. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, that's not true, but hang with me for a moment. In 2011, uh, UC San Diego did a study that proved people enjoy a good story more when they know how it's going to end. The study went on to show that people not only enjoyed the story more, but they got more out of it. The reason being, they weren't worried throughout the whole story, how's it going to end? What's going to happen? And because they weren't worried about what was going to end or how it was going to end, they were actually able to get more out of it, enjoy more of the details because they knew how the story would end. Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it tells us how our story ends. Uh, But sadly, oftentimes, we live like it doesn't. Sure, we don't know what's going to happen in the immediate future. I mean, if 2020 has proven anything, we have no clue what's going to happen. But despite that, we do know how our story is going to end. And because the Bible tells us how our story ends, we can, even in the middle of the unknown, live with confidence. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter number 5. We just saw this chapter dramatized in the video. And in Revelation chapter number 5, we're starting to see the beginning of the end. As the Apostle John uh, continues writing and describing his heavenly journey, like we saw in the video, he sees a scroll in the right hand of God the Father seated on the throne. And the scroll is full. In Revelation chapter 5, verse number 1, it says that there's writing in the, all on the inside and on the back. It's full. It is packed. And as you read the chapters after chapter number 5, you'll find that this scroll and the seven seals that are contained into it, as they open, they oftentimes bring judgment. Now, I know we tend to not like to deal with judgment. It makes us uncomfortable. But what we have to remember is that judgment is ultimately about correcting everything that sin has broken for the glory of God and the good of his people. So what this scroll in heaven really represents is the, revolution, or the resolution of history. It represents the defeat of evil and the defeat of sin. And as this focus in heaven shifts down to this scroll, a mighty angel steps forward and asks the question, who is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals? The question is, who is worthy to bring about the resolution of history? And then, as John looks around and as heaven waits, nobody is presented that is worthy to open the scroll. And as John realizes there's nobody worthy to bring about the resolution of history, the Bible says he weeps loudly. And, you know, we tend to just kind of skip past that verse, but I kind of wonder what was going through John's mind as he wept. Maybe he wondered if he had just wasted his life. At this point, he's he's in exile because of his faith, and I'm wondering if he was wondering, was I exiled for nothing? Did it all mean nothing? Imagine the hopelessness that must have crept into his heart as he sees the resolution of history, but there's nobody that's worthy to step forward and allow that resolution to take place. But what I love is John's weeping is not the end. Neither was the apparent lack of resolution to a sin-cursed world. You see, in verse number five, one of the elders steps forward and they tell John, John, don't weep. Behold. And what we're going to see, the theme emerged from John chapter number five and the theme or Revelation 5, and the theme of our message this morning is that Jesus, Jesus is worthy to bring about the resolution of history. 
Jesus is worthy to bring about the ultimate defeat of evil. Jesus is worthy to bring about the restoration of all things. In Revelation 5, it shows us why Jesus is worthy and how we as his people respond. If you are physically able, let me invite you to stand. We're going to be in Revelation 5 this morning, working our way through the entire chapter. Today we are concluding our Christmas mini-series that hopefully over these last few weeks has helped us kind of take our eyes off the temporal, take our eyes off of the problems that this year has presented to us, and has helped us fix our eyes, fix our focus, our gaze, and our affections on, on Jesus as we consider his worthiness. A few of our guests this morning, thank you so much for joining us as we uh, conclude this mini-series. If this is your first time, I'd encourage you, whether you're here in the house this morning or you're watching online, uh, let me encourage you to take out your smartphone and go to fresnochurch.com connect. There's a little online connection card that you can fill out. We'd love to know that you're with us this morning, especially if you're watching online. Uh, for every first-time guest that fills that out this morning, we're going to make a donation to a local nonprofit, a local charity here in the city of Fresno. So let me encourage you to go ahead and do that. Uh, but let's read Revelation chapter number 5. I'm going to read all 14 verses. Chapter 5, verse number 1, the Bible says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense. We're not going to get into it this morning, but I love the picture this gives us of prayer. It says, these golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Church, your prayers are heaven's incense. Verse number nine, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard among the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray, then we'll jump into our study this morning. Father... Jesus, you are worthy. And Lord, my words will ultimately fall short of declaring your worthiness. So Father, I pray that your spirit would through your word and through this message do what my mere words alone can't, and that is to make you big in our eyes. Reveal your worthiness. 
reveal to us how amazing and powerful and wonderful and mighty you are. I pray this morning, these next few minutes, your worthiness would be on display and that we, like all of heaven, would just worship. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Our first thought this morning is that Jesus is worthy because he has conquered. Jesus is worthy because he has conquered. Look at verse number five again. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. You see, to bring about the resolution of history, one has to be the master of history. In order to be, one must be stronger and more powerful than evil in order to defeat it. Only light can drive out darkness. Only righteousness can drive out wickedness. Only love can drive out hate. The curse of sin is wrecking our world, but as we see here in this passage and throughout the New Testament, Jesus has conquered sin. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says it so well. It says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. It says, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus just didn't prove that he was stronger than sin. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. Just like in the ancient world, a conquering king would ride through a conquered city, dragging his defeated enemy behind him in the street for all to see, putting his defeated enemy to shame. Jesus has conquered sin. Jesus has conquered death. And he drug it through the street, putting it to open shame, declaring for all the world to see, I have conquered. And because Jesus has conquered, he is worthy to bring about the resolution of history. Jesus has complete and total power. In verse number six, the Bible describes Jesus as having seven horns. Now, this is kind of weird. We, we think, what, horns? What's going on? Well, throughout the Old Testament in the book of Revelation, horns were a symbol of might. They were a symbol of strength and power. And oftentimes throughout Scripture, the number seven is the number of completion. And so what we see here in Revelation is that Jesus has complete and total power and authority. There is none as great as the Lion of Judah. Only someone this awe-inspiring and this powerful, only someone who could so thoroughly conquer sin and death could take the scroll from the right hand of God, sit it on, sit it on his throne, and open it to bring about the resolution of history. And because Jesus has conquered, only he can bring about God's plan. No one else is worthy because no one else has conquered. No one else has so thoroughly defeated sin for all the world. He is a lion. And in this passage, it says he is a lamb, but he is a lamb like a lion, a lion-like lamb. And immediately after Jesus takes the scroll, what does heaven do? Heaven worships the lamb with a new song. And in this new song, we see how Jesus conquered. Look at verse number nine. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made all these different people from every tribe and every nation and every language. You have taken all these different people, and from them you have made them a kingdom and priests to our gods, and they shall reign on the earth. Not only is Jesus worthy because he conquered, but he is worthy because he was slain. Every good story has a tension that has to be resolved. 
regardless of the genre of story, if it's a book, if it's a movie, if it's a kid's movie, if it's an adult, it doesn't matter. Every good story has a tension that has to be resolved. For example, one of my favorites, how does weak little Frodo destroy the one ring of power? That's the tension that's solved in that story. How do the children, Peter, Susan, and Edmund, and Lucy, and the Chronicles of Narnia, how do they defeat the white witch and restore Narnia? That's the tension that has to be resolved. How does a thug and mediocre boxer, Rocky Balboa, defeat the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed, the King of Sting? That one's a little easier. There's four simple steps. One, chase a chicken. <laughs> Two, do some soul searching because you couldn't catch the chicken. Number three, catch the chicken. Number four, do a training montage with an epic song that will either A, light your heart on fire, or B, give you the eye of the tiger. <laughs> it's, it's the same in kids' movies, too. It's the same in kids' movies. I mean, Toy Story 1, the tension. How do Woody and Buzz escape from Sid so Andy can play with them? Toy Story 2, how does Buzz rescue Woody from Al so Andy can play with him? Toy Story 3, how do Woody and Buzz reverse the relentless and unending march of time? Why? So Andy can play with them. Every story has a tension that has to be resolved. It has a conflict that needs to be solved. And in the narrative of Scripture, the tension is, this tension that's not just a movie, this tension has eternal consequence. How does this tension, how will God redeem his creation that has been ravaged by sin and death? How will God in his holiness judge sin and in his love redeem his people? And in one brilliant stroke, Jesus settled the greatest tension the world has ever seen by allowing himself to be slain. And when he allowed himself to be slain, he forever satisfied the holiness of God and made, for, made a way for us to be redeemed back to the love of our Father. You see, the Lion of Judah conquered because he was willing to act the part of a lamb. On the one hand, we see a lion like lamb, but on the other hand, we see a lamb like lion. Isaiah 53 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its share is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He willingly allowed himself to be slain so that we could be ransomed back to God. The lion gets the victory through the tactics of the lamb. Jesus is worthy to bring about the resolution of history, of our history, because he gave everything. He conquered through his death and resurrection. Jesus is worthy because he ransomed you and me with his blood. And this passage tells us that because he ransomed us, he has made us a new people. He's given us a new identity, which then gives us a new purpose for living. With his death, he's creating a new kingdom. It's made up of every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's beautifully diverse as we, from people from different backgrounds, come together to become one kingdom, one nation that exists for the praise and glory of God. This passage shows us that there's place for every person in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, what you've done. Jesus willingly laid down his life so that you could be saved from the penalty of your sin. He willingly laid down his life so that you didn't have to face the judgment of your sin. Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to. Because Jesus was slain, because Jesus gave everything, he is the one who is worthy to break the seal and open its scrolls and ultimately create a new heaven and a new earth for the glory of God and the good of his people. So we've seen he's worthy because he conquered. We've seen he is worthy because he was slain. Lastly, we see he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. Look at verse number 11 of our text, Revelation 5. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. You get the idea. It's this innumerable amount of people praising God, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see, when Jesus entered the scene, the weeping stopped and the worship began. And just like Jesus was the end of John's weeping here in Revelation 5, Jesus will one day be the end of our weeping. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I love how the book of Revelation gives us this picture of unhindered worship. After Jesus resolves history, there will be no more obstacles to our worship. There will be nothing to hinder the intensity and our fullness of joy in Jesus. Right now, we face obstacles. Right now, there are tears. Right now, our worship often is hindered by our sin or the sin of others. Right now, it is difficult. Every day, we meet emotional circumstantial, possibly even satanic obstacles that seek to hinder our worship. And I'll say this, right now, worship through tears is one of the most faith-filled forms of worship that there is. And God promises to meet you in that pain. The book of Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. In his book, Facing Reality, Oswald Chambers said, faith is the deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. So right now, we may not understand the ways of God. So even if we are in pain, even if we, like the Apostle John at the beginning of this chapter, feel hopeless, and we have no idea how things are going to turn out, we can't by faith worship Jesus because he is worthy. And we, we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on the authority of the word of God, that one day he will restore all that is broken. And in that day, there'll be no more death, no sickness, no crying, no pain, no coronavirus, praise Jesus, no calamity, best of all, no sin. And there will be limitless creative outlets for us to express our adoration of God. That is how our story ends. Unhindered, white, hot worship for all of eternity. And by the way, this is partly why what we're doing right now, corporate worship, gathering together, is so important. If I could use a, a, a modern phrase, that's why it's so essential. Because what it does is it gives us a taste of what we have to look forward to. It reminds us that at the end of all things, Jesus wins because Jesus is worthy. It gives us a chance to come together, people of different backgrounds, people of different upbringings, different personalities, different ethnicities, 
different ways of thinking, different ways of doing life, we can all come together and we can worship. And for a few moments, we can turn off the noise, we can turn off the notifications and the distractions, and we can direct our focus and our affections and our minds and our emotions to Jesus, and together we worship. It's not just about entertainment. I mean, don't get me wrong. We want it to be done with excellence because that glorifies God. And we don't want our worship to be hindered by something that sounds awful, right? Like, there's a reason I don't lead worship that Hunter does. Like, it would be a very unnecessary obstacle for you guys. But worship is not about whether or not we're musical. Worship is not about whether or not you're an introvert or you're an extrovert or you're expressive or you're unexpressive. It's not even really about the style of music or whether or not you like the song. I always chuckle when people are like, repetitive songs aren't good for worship. Like, have you read Psalm 136? Over and over again, the mercies of the Lord endures forever. I mean, go back to chapter, chapter 4, verse 8 of Revelation. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The reason it's said over and over and over again, because that is glorious and worth repeating for all of eternity. You see, worship is about proclaiming the worthiness of Jesus. Regardless of the genre, regardless of, it's not my favorite song. It's about proclaiming the worthiness of Jesus, not your preference. This is why we don't just stand and listen as the worship team comes up here and sings and plays. We don't just stand and watch. That's why we all together sing, because we all together proclaim the worthiness of Jesus. I mean, look at chapter 5, verse 12, saying, with a loud voice, with a loud voice. I've got a good dad voice. You guys with me? With a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Because Jesus is worthy, we sing loudly. You don't just stand and mumble. No, we loudly proclaim because Jesus is worthy. The thing I love about this throne room scene in Revelation 4 and 5, every time something happens, heaven just worships. Oh, we're in heaven, let's worship. Oh, there's God, let's worship. Oh, Jesus comes, let's worship. Oh, Jesus takes the scroll, let's worship. Every time something happens in heavens, what do they do? They worship. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of our worship. You see, we will spend all of eternity. The resolution of history is really just the beginning. This life that we live for this moment, it's not even a blip on the radar in the scope of eternity. It's not even, when you are in eternity for eons and eons and ages past so far that your mind can't even comprehend it, we won't remember 2020 anymore. It'll be so far gone. It'll be such a tiny blip on the radar. And for all of eternity, we will unhinderedly worship Jesus. I don't think unhinderedly is a word, but it fits. (laughs) The truth is, though, we're not there yet. We know how history ends. But we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I'll say this. Knowing how Jesus secures our end allows us to worship in our present. Knowing how Jesus has secured our end is what allows us to worship him in our present. And because we know how he secures our end, we don't need to grumble. There's been a lot of grumbling on Facebook. I'm just going to throw that out there. 
We don't need to grumble. We don't need to worry or fret or be angry or be resentful or bitter. Why? Because we know how our story ends. We can rejoice and sing through pain. We can rejoice and sing through obstacles. We can rejoice and sing through tears. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. Because our foundation has been laid and it's better. It's infinitely better than anything that can happen to us this side of eternity. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Nothing the world can offer you and nothing the world can take away from you can beat that. Nothing. And because of that, we're free from self-protecting fear. I'm free from self-protecting anger. You're free from self-protecting worry or anxiety. We can endure the difficult twists and turns that this life throws at us because we know the end. We know our end. We might not know what happens on the next page of our story, but folks, we can read the back of the book. And because we know that Jesus is worthy to bring about the resolution of history, we can resolutely live our lives in worship of the true king. Because Jesus is worthy to bring about the resolution of history, we can resolutely live our lives in worship. So here's our takeaway for this morning. Live your life displaying the worthiness of Jesus. In just a moment, the worship team's going to come and we're going to sing a song that's based on this passage of Scripture. Like we had a video about it, we have a message about it, and now we're going to have a song about it. Because Jesus is worthy. And let's, in these next few moments, proclaim with our words, display with our words that we believe Jesus is worthy. And when we leave here this afternoon, let's live our lives displaying Jesus is worthy. And when we go to our jobs tomorrow, or when you go to look for a job tomorrow, live your life displaying the worthiness of Jesus, knowing that Jesus has secured my end because he has conquered sin by allowing himself to be slain for me. Live your life displaying the worthiness of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for you are worthy. And Lord, it's our prayer that we as a people that make up Fresno Church. It's not the biggest church in town. It's not the most flashy church in town. But Lord, I pray that we as the Fresno Church would be a group of people who live our lives displaying the worthiness of Jesus. And that we would live with confidence knowing you have secured our end. And while we may not know what's going to happen tomorrow or we... We may not like what is happening today, Lord. We can live with confidence, free from anger or bitterness or fear or worry because you have secured our end. Because you are the Lion of Judah and you are the Lamb who was slain. We pray and ask this in your name. Amen.